0: So luckily he goes to this place where he said he was going to go and he turns around and makes a U-turn and comes back towards the cul-de-sac. He punches me again two more times. So now I can't feel my face. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be it. Also, as we're going down the road, he doesn't stop for a four-way light at a major intersection. So at this point, I close my eyes And we go through an intersection where people are beeping because they have to stop. Like we didn't, it was a red light. So I know that he doesn't care about our lives. And he tells me the worst thing, which is we're going to die together. You're not going anywhere.
1: Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, nearly 20 people per minute Are physically abused by an intimate partner. On a typical day, they said that more than 20,000 phone calls are made to domestic violence hotlines nationwide. Numbers seem to have increased with COVID around and people being quarantined. My guest this week is someone I've known literally her entire life, my sister Mallory, who experienced domestic abuse. And she's finally ready to talk about it. How does this story begin?
0: Well, hi everyone. This story begins with a a woman who doesn't know her own strength and finds out that what it is that you don't know about yourself, the strength, the qualities, the attributes that make you so awesome when you don't know those someone can tell you something else about yourself and you believe it so this story starts out where I'm totally ambitious I'm just thinking that the world is my oysters people say I'm the second child so I'm a little bit more spoiled than my sister in that I got to do pretty much whatever I felt like I really wanted to do at the moment and what I wanted to do after college was to go and dance and I got that opportunity to go and dance I went to Senegal for 4 weeks and while I was in Senegal I got asked on another job in Burkina Faso and I was a teacher and also danced in a company there and I met someone who I felt understood me, who I felt like had a story that was adventurous. And he was there to protect me in a place where I felt like I was alone. And I chose him to be my husband. That's how it started.
1: Was it a happy picture in the beginning or were there some red flags that kind of... You look back on and say, "Oh, this probably was a sign."
0: Oh, well, yeah. I. It's always happy for everyone when they're in love, and they don't see. That's what people say: love is blind, because you're just so excited that you get to share time with someone who is as much enamored as you are with them. So that was great to have a partner to go out with, to eat with, to have conversations with, to take adventures with. Mind you, I'm in Africa at this point, so I don't know anything about anything. And I was 20-something, so I don't know anything about anything. (laughs) Um, So the adventure is always that someone's showing you something new, that you're hanging out with other people who also have traveled and been everywhere, and you're meeting all these new um, international, you know, adventures. So I'm an adventurous person, and I really like to study people and study places. And so that was right up my alley to be able to to go and do a lot of stuff. We did a lot of stuff, and so I had a blast. We did three thousand miles on a bike. Um, we did a bike, meaning like not a, not a bike, like a two wheeled, I'm pedaling bike, but uh, a motorbike, um, uh, a motorcycle. And we, I've traveled to maybe three other countries, uh, or three, yeah, three other countries or three under other huge cities and seen a lot of stuff. And so I was just like, that was my love language just to be able to Discover and travel, and um so yeah, everything was good. The red flags for me, looking back were the responses to things that I needed. If I felt like I needed something, it was always that I was so selfish that I wasn't thinking about him, or that I was just whining, or that um, you know, it just it just wasn't a loving manner. Sometimes people talk to you and you feel good when they talk to you. And sometimes you they talk to you and you feel like you're in trouble or you feel like it's it's your fault or it just wasn't, it didn't rub you the right way. And so that those were red flags. When it was like zero to a hundred, when you're trying to have a conversation with someone and all of a sudden it goes to, well, we don't need to be together anymore. Wait, what? So that kind of thing where it was like the threat was if you don't do what I say or if you don't agree with what I agree with then I'm against you. That that is a that is a manipulation and emotional abuse. So those were my red flags in the beginning.
1: When you guys got married, what was that relationship like?
0: When we got married, Now, listen, there are two me's. There is a me who is aware and then there is a me who is unaware. So the unaware me is like, we're in love. We love each other. Um, We've been talking to each other for a year and a half. um, And I don't want to live in Africa. So, and and we both want to live in the state. So we're going to have to get married so that you can be here as a citizen. So let's do it. Again. The other me being aware was like, I was pushy. Like I said, I chose him. And sometimes when women choose what they want and it's on their list, it's like, listen, it's time to get married right now because I want to, and it's going to work out because I have a plan. Do you want to be with me? Okay. So if you want to be with me, then you need to marry me. Regardless if that other person is ready or not, you know, you kind of emasculate them in a way because they don't get to make the decision to choose when it's time, because when they're ready, they're ready. They're just not ready when they're not. And so I was just like, yeah, like you love me, don't you? Okay, great. Let's do it. You know, I was very much like that, (laughs) not thinking about anything else, not knowing how much maturity we would need to have in a relationship at all. So it was very much like the very young, um, we're just so in love with each other and we know absolutely nothing at the same time that was the extent of our marriage that was it um he was very concerned about his family because we did it in the states we got married in the states we and it was very small ceremony just my family super on the whim a man went shopping for like a week to find something at uh the black and white something, uh, you know, so it's non-traditional, you know, so he would have had to tell his family and his family would have had had a chance to come. And the fact that they didn't was kind of like bad luck in a way, but he also justified that for himself because he was like, well, I want to live here and I have to have, I have to start the green card process. So we have to at least do this and then I can do that later. So that was the justification there. And we had no kids, so you know it was just more time to just be ridiculous <laughs> we didn't have any responsibilities as far as children so
1: so how did this love story go sour? How did this escalate to the point where there was actually violence?
0: Mm, I say those moments where you feel bad after you talk to somebody, the moments where you feel like um. You know, you just feel bad after you talk to somebody. You feel like you're worthless. You know, the places where he could have put some love into his conversation now have escalated to now I'm calling you names. Now I'm emotionally abusing you and I want you to feel bad. So I'm calling you things like not a street worker, but you know what I would like to say. I'm calling you like, you know, a bad wife I'm calling you things that are like the no boundaries, like the boundary zone. Like, do not say that. You can't take that back. And so what happens is over time is once you say words and you put them out, you start chipping away at your relationship where you get to a point where you cannot return. And what happened was we had a child I conceived in Africa. We decided to have it. We were like, hmm, yes, let's do it tonight. (laughs) And when we had her, it was like, where do we want to live? So we lived in Holland for a little while. And then I was like, no, I want to go home. You know, this is my first child. I don't understand what the nurses are saying. I don't understand what anybody's saying. I want my family here. Even though my mom was like, we'll come there when you have the baby or whatever. And I was like, nope, I just want to leave. The stress of having children, um, people don't realize that's like a real thing. Like you and your relationship, it would be great for you to sit in your relationship, just you two, for a while before you decide to have children. Because the more you know about yourself and the more you know what happens when you guys get stressed out, then the better you'll be able to handle adding another stress into that, which is a kid. How do you take care of it? Your energy, the money, the, the time that goes into that. So a stressor for us was... Having my first child and then adopting his child. So I had a six-year-old at the time and a two-year-old or a one-year-old at the time when everything was going. So we had two kids instantly. We weren't stable as far as jobs. I knew I was working in the field that I love, which was dancing, but dancing doesn't make enough money. Because you're an artist and people appreciate you like after you're gone, <laughs> but you do it for the love of what you do. And so he, not going through the American system of having all these papers that said that he was educated enough, he's automatically put in the category of getting these subpar jobs. And so he went from being somebody in his country, from importing you know, these great commodities, cars, boats motorcycles, expensive stuff, getting a lot of money to being demoted to these menial positions. And so I think as a man, he felt like he was going to come and just have all the opportunity. That's a misconception when you come to the United States is that, you know, you're going to have opportunity, Do you know what I mean? And there is opportunity there, but it is limited to a certain group of people. If you don't have a way in there, and so you would have to really be okay with being at the bottom and working yourself up to the top. And I don't think that he expected that much bottom because he really, I think as a man, sometimes men feel like what they do and how much they make defines them as far as their worth. So he felt worthless. He felt like he couldn't support his family. He felt like he wasn't the man. He felt like even people calling and checking on him, he couldn't tell them any. Uh, positive news. So he just felt really down. So the the deterioration of our relationship happened when the stresses of having children and trying to figure out how to survive was too much. I was the beanbag. I was the punching bag. So if he felt a certain way about himself, it was given to me. If you're ever in a situation where you have children and There's some things said between each other that are hurtful or physical abuse that's done. They know, Um, but he was calling my name and he told me to come downstairs. And I knew from the tone of his voice that he wasn't very happy with me. But I also was confused because I didn't do anything because I never felt like I did anything for real. Know what I mean? So I went downstairs and he, I don't even remember what it was about because all I remember is what happened, because that's what was important to me to remember. We were arguing about something, which was really him arguing or complaining about something that I did or said. And I was going back up the steps and he pushed me. And I turned around and I said, don't ever push me again. And he was like, you're right, I'm sorry. But before that, he had threatened to do me physical harm. Like I should slap you or I should, you know what I'm saying? And then it was like, he was so upset that as I'm taking my energy away from him and turning around that he pushed me. And of course my kid was at the top of the stairs hearing it. So she's yelling down, is everything okay? After whatever. And of course, as a mother, you don't want them to worry. So you go upstairs and you're like, no, yeah, dad's just upset. And so she's thinking the whole time, mom, you should be punished. What did you do? Because it's my fault. Because that's the only reason why dad would ever yell at you is because you must have done something. Because that's what happens to me. If I do something, then I get yelled at. So you must have done something. And so she was confused, um, you know, at three. Like, mom, what, you know, don't make daddy mad that was her thing. So that that was the first like physical contact. I didn't have any more physical contact until the end. But um I knew it had changed because I used to sleep with a knife next to me and I used to sleep with the kids because every time that he would be upset, I just didn't know. I wasn't sure. It's like an animal, it's like a dog. You have an instinct when you know something's not right and you can't trust anybody anymore. And so when everything was good, it was great. But when everything was bad, it was bad. Like it was like this cloud that loomed over him all day long. And it was like walking on eggshells. Every step, everything that I would say could be something that could set someone off. So I was just passive. Do you need this? Do you need that? Let me stay out of his way. So sometimes at night, if I felt like he was not in a good mood... I would ask him, do you want me to sleep with you or, or I would fall asleep. Cause of course I am tired. I'm a mother of two already and I'm reading them a book and I'm saying their prayers. And you know what happens when you lay down? Cause you haven't had to sit down or lay down all day. So you fall asleep. And sometimes I would just stay in there. And, um, I so I would, I planted a knife under there just in case I needed to use it. And I would sleep next to the door and have the kids sleep on my other side. Just in case I felt like I needed to get up or I felt like I needed to shield them from something. But I didn't. There was a point where I knew that I don't know what to expect. So that that was not a place for me. I didn't feel safe. Did you notice changes in yourself? Yes. I noticed that I went from someone who was very outgoing, very outspoken, very determined. Very confident to someone that was very quiet, internally challenged, meaning that I couldn't express myself. I didn't know what to think. I would only think about what everybody else wanted. You know, very negative thinker about myself, feeling like it's my fault, everything. Um, And then just noticing changes in my body. I remember having to look at the insides of my arms like the soft part, the soft part that's like the smoothest part of your body and seeing like this, these ripples or these wrinkles in my skin and looking at it and like being like, that's new. I've never seen that before. And every time that I felt stressed, I would look at my arms and my arms would be, there would be like little patches of like wrinkles on the softest part. And I was like, I wonder why that's there. And I remember that distinctly because that's a that's a weird memory to have. Like nobody looks at their arms. (laughs) So I looked at my arms, that kind of thing. And then just not feeling like um, I had air to breathe. Like I was stuck. Like I couldn't do anything or go anywhere without his permission or have my own thoughts or do my own thing without running it by him. Like feeling free. At one point we had an argument and I didn't feel comfortable Staying there, I took my kid to my friend's house, and that was like several hours away. And I stayed there because I didn't feel safe. And then, of course, we talked on the phone. I gave them the ultimatum, and then I came back. But changes in my body were towards the end. I think also I didn't have an appetite. I was so repulsed by what was going on and so stressed out. I didn't eat. Food didn't fill me anymore. I didn't eat. And now everybody who knows me knows I eat. So that's a thing. Like when I don't eat, that's the only time in my life I didn't eat. But I just wasn't hungry. I would go, I would eat a meal, but that would be it. So those were the big changes that I felt in me. I just felt like I was uh, locked up inside of myself. And I wasn't free to be me. And I didn't know who that was anymore. Because I had someone constantly telling me who I was. And they were all negative things.
1: T and I noticed changes in you as well. Exactly what you said about like, you know, you are outgoing and just happy all the time. And you weren't that. And so it was just weird because mm-hmm. we, that's not you. And you stopped like going on family vacations and things. So it was just like, mm, what's going on there?
0: Mm-hmm. I think also like at some point you go through this part where afterwards you start blaming everyone, right? It's usually when people get a divorce, they blame the other person or they blame a situation that made things bad. So in that blaming process, I was like really asking myself, like, didn't anybody see this? Like, didn't, why didn't someone pull me to the side? Like my mother knows me well. Why didn't she say, you know, are you okay? That was really something that I was also astonished that no matter what happened with me, I didn't have anybody stop me and be like, hey, are you okay? You don't have to do this. Do you know what I mean? So I felt like there was some sort of like pressure, like meaning, for example, I went to grandma's house and I sold her like, I'm really just feeling like, He just doesn't get it. I don't feel safe. I don't like the way he talks to me. I don't like the way I feel. And she told me, no, it's going to be okay. Everybody goes through these things, you know, kind of like, you know, hang in there. But it was never like, stop. If you feel like you are not safe or you feel like he's emotionally abusing you or you feel like he's not treating you right, you don't have to like hang in there. And it was more like, no, it's good. I think you guys just need some time to talk. I'll keep the kids type of thing. Everything's going to be fine. And from what other people didn't say to me, like not asking, not telling me anything, not saying, not being like, you know, I've noticed, you know, none of that. I felt like, oh, well, that's what I have to do. Everybody's relationship is like that. Um, And I didn't, I didn't refute that thought at all because I felt like there were situations in everybody's relationship that was around me where they went through a time that was difficult and they figured it out. I'm not saying that that was entirely healthy. I don't feel like mom's generation and the generation before that gave themselves an out. I felt like it was like, nope, you stay in it. You're almost stuck. It's rather that you stay married with somebody so that you're not in shame of having a divorce or, you know, making it your fault or in some way diminishing your, you as a woman, because now you're used or you're, you know, you're not pure anymore. So it was that, that kind of like pressure to be like, I got to figure this out. And then of course, you know, our parents have been married so long. You're like, well, you know, maybe this is just hard in the beginning. You know what I mean? And that was really what I was dealing with is trying to be them. You know what I mean? I think there was one person who said something right after we got married and she was like, you know, you don't have to get married. Right. Like just, I was just asking the question, like, why did you do this? And you know, your question, your question is always answered with some kind of like normal response. I love him. Right. Why wouldn't you want to get married? You know, but she knew the real deal. Like you don't have to do this. You know what I mean? But I really felt the pressure of, all right, there's a clock. I finished college. I felt like there was the one that got away as well. And so I felt like, okay, this is on me. Like, I have these men available. I need to find one. I need to choose one. And I need to get started on a family. And I felt that pressure. And now the advice is to my kid is like, listen, you got all the time in the world. In fact, it works out better. If you know yourself completely, then you can attract what it is that you want. If, you, if you're not aware of all the things that you are and the things that are not healed, you're going to attract some toxic love. And that's what our love was, very toxic.
1: So what made you decide that you were going to end the relationship?
0: Well, I compiled all of the things that happened to me, and it was kind of like, that was enough. I mean, it was just very demeaning. I didn't have anything left. And I think also I felt disconnected from my family and my friends because that's how you get into situations where you feel stuck is because you're not allowed to do anything without permission. So I didn't feel like I could just go and be. You know, it was always like a you're going to go and cheat on me or you're going to go and who are you talking to on the phone. It was very much like everything was like controlled. I made the decision when we had an argument and um I had already come to Atlanta and I was staying with mom and I had put Mickey into school and I had also put my stepchild into school as well. And we were planning to move up to Atlanta to have more opportunities because the small town where I'm from, there are certain things that you can do, but as far as you like having more opportunities, like there's so many more jobs available and my family was in Atlanta so i got a chance to experience life of just being without it's kind of one of those things like when you uh you're in a relationship and you feel bad about breaking up with somebody and you haven't broken up with them yet but then you go somewhere where you don't they're not with you and you're like man this this feels good hmm so it was kind of like that where i knew what it felt like to be without him and I was like, I think I can do this. And I feel like my kids are safe and I feel like I'm safe. And I don't feel like that when he's around. So we talked, we had a conversation. And in that conversation again, he went to a hundred. Well, you should just divorce me. Now, have I heard this before? Over the three years that we're together, I probably heard that so many times and because I was so You know, I don't want to break up. We got to work this out. I was so like, that was like a pain point for me. So he would always go to the pain points. What's going to make her feel like she has to capitulate? What's going to make her feel like she feel like make her feel bad? So it was always those pain points where you know that person and you know their weaknesses and you know what makes them tick and you go to those places. So at that point, I had nothing left. I was like, yes, let's do it. And so the next day I did all the research. So happened that the person that was at the bus stop with my child was a lawyer. I asked him where everything was and I knew where to go in the building, what floor to go to, the process I would have to go through. And he was amazed that I did all that because before I would have been like, no, like, don't say that, you know? And I was like, yes, let's do it tomorrow. And when we were driving there, he was just like, "Yeah, you know, it's been great, but it's time. Like he was just trying to press the button to see if I would like turn around and I didn't do it. And we went through the whole process, and I wrote everything down, and we're getting the copy of our papers as we go down um to the bottom of the thing, and he's just like, "Yeah, you know, it's been sweet." And then once he realized that it didn't affect me anymore, that's when he got really upset, and then he went into like anger because he didn't have anything left. When they don't have anything left, you're pushing them over the edge because, again, it's like a big tantrum. If manipulating you didn't get it, if threatening you didn't get it, and you aren't at all phased by that anymore because you're like, well, that's what you did last time. Like, you can't do anything else to me to hurt me. Then it went to, like, physical. So then that week... He was calling and calling and calling. And sometimes I'd pick up, sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I'd be busy, but I was safe inside my family house. So he was like, come out. I want to talk. So we talked in his car and he started telling me all these things that were my fault. I came here. It was your fault. You're terrible, blah, blah, blah. You, this and this and that. We're using cuss words now. I'm the most terrible person on the planet. It's all my fault. And he punches me with his right hand while he's driving with his left hand. At this point, I'm stunned. Because I'm like, never, first of all, I've never been in a fight. So I don't know what it's like to be punched. That was stunning to me. And I started like kind of shrilling, like screaming. Like, oh my God, like shrilling. And of course he's like, be quiet. Don't say anything. I'm going to tell you how this is going to go down. So now I'm in a car with a person who's pushed over the edge, who doesn't have anything left. Who doesn't have a family, who doesn't have a support, money, anything. I am his everything and I'm telling him that I'm leaving. So he's like doesn't feel like he has anything to lose at this point. So I'm thinking that I'm going to die. So we leave the cul-de-sac and we start to drive down the street and he's telling me I'm going to pull over right here and I'm going to beat you up because the pain that you're going to feel physically is the pain that you caused me so it's only right that I should because it's you who did it so I'm thinking like all right this is going to go down one way or another and I'm either going to lose my life trying or he's going to get messed up either way because at this point I'm not a soul anymore I'm an animal and he's an animal. He's outside of his soul. We're outside of love. We're on that dangerous space where we are surviving. And when you survive, you don't think, you just do. So I was talking to myself like that, like, you're going to have to decide what to do. So luckily, he goes to this place where he said he was going to go and he turns around and makes a U turn and comes back towards the cul de sac. He punches me again two more times. So now I can't feel my face. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be it. Also, as we're going down the road, he doesn't stop for a four-way light at a major intersection. So at this point, I close my eyes and we go through an intersection where people are beeping because they have to stop. Like we didn't, it was a red light. So I know that he doesn't care about our lives. And he tells me the worst thing, which is we're going to die together. You're not going anywhere. So at that point, I'm like, oh my God, right? So then he goes back into the cul-de-sac for some reason. Thank the source of life. He parks and he starts talking. And I'm looking at the time. How long is this taking? Do I open the door and run? Do I have time to, you know, press the button on my phone and call and hang up so that somebody will know? what do I do in this situation? He's so upset, he punches the windshield. The windshield breaks. Now mind you, if I punch the windshield right now, my hand's gonna hurt. The windshield's probably not gonna break. So the amount of force that he punched the windshield with and he doesn't feel anything, he doesn't feel anything. At that point, he's enraged. And so you feel like this consciousness, him coming down from this place of being enraged for an hour, he's up there on 111. And then he's slowly coming back into this little boy all the way down to, I'm so sorry. I know I shouldn't have done this. I can't believe I've done this. I don't know what to do. I'm so hurt. Like where he's like explaining himself and he's, it's just crazy. So he tells me I can leave. At that point, I didn't ask any questions. I got out of the car and I walk slowly because I felt like if I run, he might chase me. So I walk normally. And in my mind, I'm like, what does my face look like? What am I going to do? Who am I going to tell? I can't go back at this point. I can't go back to the life I had. You know, I can't, this is, this is it. Now something has to happen. What happens now? So I go in, I call my mom down to the garage. First of all, I close the garage and I close the door and I lock it. And I say, mom, and she looks at me and she says, what's going on? Now, meanwhile, mean, I didn't turn the light on so she can't see me. And I don't know if you know, but when you get hit or you get punched, it doesn't show up immediately. You know, it takes some time for like the swelling to happen. So... I tell her he just punched me several times, and I'm afraid, and I feel like he could do something. And she says, "You have to tell your dad." And so I'm like, "No, don't tell dad. He's gonna kill him." Right? That's the first thing you're thinking, right? This is somebody who's got the guns in waiting, right? So you're like, "No, don't tell, him, don't tell him. She's like, "No, we have to." And I'm like, "All right." So I go upstairs, I tell him what I told my mom. And he's putting his shoes on. He's putting his shoes on. He's trying to find, you know, what else to do. And, of course, he's frantic because he's like, "This. how did this happen? How did I let this happen? You know what I'm saying? Like, And I'm not going to continue to let it happen. Where's he at? So he calls the police and sets a look for him, like a whatever, on a charge of domestic whatever. And, of course, you feel terrible because any time that you – Feel like the police is involved. You feel so much shame that you allowed this to happen, and that somebody has to come and bring law enforcement. You know, you you kind of separate yourself from other people, and you think, oh, that would never happen because in my life I've never had to have the police at all. You know what I mean? So they send over this cop, and he's probably like 125 pounds wet, and I'm like, what is he gonna do? (laughs) So he parks the car in front of the garage, and he opens the garage. My dad and he are talking and my husband comes and he runs through them. He runs up the steps and he's calling my name. At this point, I'm like, how did you get in the house? So I immediately take my child and my mom and rush them to the room where I feel like I can double lock the door. So I put them in the bathroom, I I locked, I told them to lock that door and then I closed the bedroom door and told them to lock that one as well. So they're double locked. So if anything happens, it will be hard -er for him to break through both doors to get my child if he's going to or hurt anybody else. And then I stay out of the room. I'm ready to sacrifice myself at this point. So he comes in the room and he's like, I just want to talk. And at this point, the police is running up the steps. My dad's running up the steps somehow. I didn't even see him run. He's the big man. (laughs) And they're saying, get on your knees. Get on your knees. So that, that, you know, the moment in the movie and the things that you watch where people have to get on their knees and put their hands behind their back. And you're seeing this person that you fell in love with. He's not scared. He's sad. And he's broken and you see him and you have to let that happen because if not, he could hurt himself or hurt you. And so, you know, and then my dad just thinking like, I have to do something. So there's so much pent up anger, I think in men period, because they're not allowed to express themselves. And I feel like, especially the older generation that I think my dad knew if he allowed himself to fully feel what he was feeling that he would kill him. So he pinned him against the wall and the police officer was like, I got him. I told y'all this police officer was a hundred pounds wet, right? Police officer tries to get him, puts one handcuffed on. I think animals know when they're bigger than the other animal. And so my ex-husband pulled away from him and starts running down the stairs The police officer gets the taser out and he shoots the taser. The taser has like several little things. So I think some of the taser went into him and the other went into the wall. And then he shot again. And I think it's the same thing, but he ran off. So now not only did all of that happen, but I don't know where he is. So tomorrow I have to face the idea of taking my kids to school and him knowing where I'm at. So I printed these things that said, this man, do not allow him to come anywhere near you. He's not allowed to pick up the children. He's not allowed to do any of that. And of course, they sent a marshal to the house too. So I had these marshals. I don't even know what a marshal is. And they're like, can you tell me where you think he would be? Give me all the numbers. Give me all the email contacts. Give me everything where he could be. And so I did that. But there is also this idea like, you know, I mean, it's just crazy to think I want you to find him so that I can feel safe. But I'm also afraid that in the meantime, while you're looking for him, that now that I have turned him in or that I've, you know, done the worst thing, I guess, that you could feel like as a traitor to the person that you love, there's nothing holding him back from killing me. Or taking my child. So it was just a time where when I went to work, my mom and my dad would drive me and we would all be together in one car. And that I was really just looking around me at all moments just to make sure. And it wasn't until like, because they never found him. And they would call and ask if I knew. But I knew he had fled the country. So you know my parents of course how do you know he's gone i'm like i don't i just know that i don't think he's here um so i had to really just one day wake up and be like i'm not afraid i don't have to be fearful that the universe is going to take care of me and that i'm going to be safe and my kids are going to be safe i just had to be like brave every day just be like i accept and i also know what i want to happen and that's not one of the things so I'm just going to think about what I want to happen and enjoy my life. But it wasn't until like, even, and I don't know if you guys know that he passed, but even when he passed, I didn't believe it. I thought it was like, maybe he's doing this so that everyone gets together so that he can see me and the kids. And even when uh, my kid wanted to go see her step sister, I thought maybe this is also a trap. And My boyfriend right now, who was with me after all of that, bless his heart, he went with me and he was the same way. He was like, I just don't believe that maybe he's up there. And so that was like three years later. So for three years, I thought it could be possible that there would be a day where he would show up and I would have to know what to say. And sometimes I would rehearse it just so I felt like I would be ready. Um, And the hard part about that too is to explain all that to your kid. Because there are things that she hears from other people and she would ask my mom. And of course, mom would give her like this whole little spill, but it's hard to keep your judgment out of your thoughts. And so when you say things, you know, she automatically was like, he's a bad person because the police had to come and get him. And sometimes she would say, mommy, if he's bad, I'm bad. I'm like, no, baby, that's not your fault. You're not bad and you're not, you know what I'm saying? And it's hard to explain. You really have to just be blunt with her and be like, there are choices. And you make good choices and you make some choices that can affect your entire life. And dad did that. But it doesn't mean that he didn't love you. It didn't mean that he, we didn't have good times and that he's a total bad person. It just mean that he really made some bad choices and he didn't know how to make the right choices. Um, but that's hard to explain because you, she associated, she was afraid of the police for a really long time. She would be in the car and she would be like, mom, the police is beside us. They're going to get us. And I'm like, no, they're not going to get us, baby. They're here to protect us. Well, they came and got Daddy. So if they got daddy, they can get us. It was like, we don't, you know what I mean? It was hard to delineate between good and bad because in life, that line is super undefinable. You know what I mean? It's just judgment. So she had some PTSD a little bit and then I definitely had some and I didn't realize I did, but I I did. Like if anybody would yell, I would just shrivel up. Like if somebody's voice got loud, I would shrivel up and I would just freeze. I was frozen. I couldn't say or do anything. I was just like frozen. So sometimes in my relationship now, (laughs) I'm with somebody who's the loudest person on earth. Not the loudest person on earth, but he's very expressive and very passionate. And he's not meaning anything, any harm to me. It's just the augmentation of his voice and the amount of emphasis that he's putting on his words. And he could be saying, I love you. (laughs) He could be saying something else that has nothing to do with me at all. But the amount of volume scares me because I've had that happen. And when it happened, it was a place where I was afraid. So now anytime somebody's like arguing or anytime somebody's like fighting, you know, I really fear danger. And I've worked through that and it's a lot better. But I did have that like, That PTSD, I one time, even even dad said something like really loud and I just was really upset. And I think what makes you upset about the PTSD part is you feel like you could have done something in the moment and you didn't because you froze. So if someone yelled at you or someone said something that hurt you and you were so traumatized that you couldn't speak up for yourself or you can't protect people, you know, for a long time I forgave myself, but I wanted to protect my kid from words, and I wanted to be able to stand up for myself and protect myself, and I wanted to be able to yell just like that right back. But there was nothing coming out. I would freeze up, and that makes you upset and very frustrated with yourself because now you feel like and you didn't do anything. You know, but there's there's so there's so much of a blockage inside of you that you're just stunned and you just stop. What misconceptions
1: do you think people have about people who are in abusive relationships?
0: I think misconceptions are that it looks like somebody. Like you can put somebody who would be abused as like you can draw them, like you can characterize them. You can say that they are of lower caste, of they are those people you know what I mean? And you can separate yourself, but really, you know, abuse and abusive relationships have no color. They have no amount of money that you make. There's no, nobody is, is safe from that. And I would describe it like when people say that overweight people are those people, the same people that you say are fat or you say, you know, you say degrading things about those people and yet you find yourself gaining 30 pounds or or 40 pounds and now you become one of those. So you're not, no one is safe from those things. There's not like a, they can't pick themselves up from that. It is like a real experience that anybody could be in. And so you really just have to be very, very careful about how you judge other people, where they come from in their environment and how you grow up. So you could be like super rich and beautiful and be abused. You could be this, I don't know, the sweetest person in the world. Um, I mean, so it, it really has no, there's no characteristics to who would be abused. And then the other thing that I really want people to know is that abuse has a lot to do with Your environment. So, a lot of times, I think looking back, I would see my ex do things and not be accountable for it. Like, there would be no consequence for it. And part of growing up is realizing that what you do affects other people, like a lot. Everything you do and you say has a consequence and effect on people. And because he was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do, I think, you know, just. Seeing him interact with other family members, it would be something so terrible and so painful to other people, but they would be like, ah, oh, it'll, it'll be okay. And they allowed him to do that. So you could see as a mother, and I'm putting this on women because we are the most powerful thing on the planet. You cannot allow your child to do and say whatever, even if it's just to you, because when it's just to you, you're the most important. Thing on the planet, you gave birth. You're the most important. So, if you're the most important and he's doing it to you, he's going to do it to complete strangers. He's going to do it to, or she is going to do it to, you know, everybody because they don't respect you. So, they don't respect anybody at that point. They don't respect the person who gave them life. So, what's going to be like the difference? What I'm saying is that misconception is that you just become an adult and you become abusive or um, you become manipulative, but that is grown. It's grown in your very own house. And that house could have plenty of food and plenty of love and plenty of activity. But if you don't notice and be aware And really know that the way that your child is interacting with you, especially if it's a woman, if it's a female, that's how she's going to interact with her husband and her boyfriend and her friends is the way she's acting with you. And for the male, that's how he's going to treat his wife. And that's how he's going to treat his sister. And that's how it starts. And they could be six years old abusive and when that grows up into a 40 year old man or it grows up into a 21 year old you can't blame them entirely because you birthed that who are they to figure that out because that's who they've been their whole life um and there's no support for that when they get there it's too late so that is the most important thing it's not that person, it's it's you, it's your family, it's you as a parent, it's you as a mother or a father allowing these things to happen. Oh, and the other misconception is that um, it's easy to leave. Well, why don't you just walk out? Why don't you just leave? Well, why don't you just stop pouring yourself a glass of wine? Why don't you just stop eating? Like those are simple, demands on a complex problem. So no, you can't just do that. And the only thing that made me leave for real was my kids, knowing that I didn't feel safe and it wasn't their fault that they put themselves in this. They were born to me and I am their protector. And if I don't feel like they're safe, then I got to leave. But that was only because I had a great childhood of you know, my mother showing me what a mother should be, which was unconditional love and her her effort at taking care of my safety and my needs, my basic needs. But if you haven't had that and you've had, you were in a family where you were neglected or you were left or abandoned, then you would be totally okay with letting your kids stay in that situation because that's the same situation that you were in. So I think that was the only reason why I was like, I don't want my kids to do this. I didn't care about myself. Because when you get into a relationship where you stay there, it's you really start believing everything that you're told and believing that you're not good and you're not, you know, beautiful and you're terrible at this and that. And you start believing that. So you don't really think about yourself. You think about your kids.
1: Kind of piggybacking off of what you said, I think that most people would look at you, people who've known you and say, well, she's always been strong. And I think they would wonder, like, how does someone who is strong end up in an abusive relationship?
0: I would think that because even I had, you know, one of the most special people in my lives, one of my teachers, she would be like, um, yeah, she's just like I describe her as like a duck. She just lets things roll off her back you know what i mean and that's a compliment but at the same time it's not um because in society today everything is moving so fast and everything is again we don't want to hear that we don't want to hear you be a woman and be expressive and we don't want to hear what you think and we'd rather just see action i want to see action because action makes money you know so it's it's less about the healing and more about the grinding about making money or about, you know, getting the job done. And that is what the definition of strength is. And we have to really, really stop doing that. I do not believe in grinding because that is survival. And no person should be just surviving out here. You have to live. So that whole thing about, yeah, if you're not grinding, you're not doing it. That person is trying to survive. And at that point, they're not acting on what they would like and what they want and what they need. It's, I have to do this or I die. And that's way different. And so I think seeing people just bite the bullet and wake up every day and go through pain and go through anxiety and go through worry and just push and push and push and take 24 hour energy pills and you know, do whatever they have to do to get the job done. that in our society right now is being a hero. And that's completely wrong. Because what happens is when you hit that wall, you go in a hole. And now you don't know how to get out because you don't know how to express yourself. You don't know what you want. And all of the work and the years of pushing got you right back to this hole that you're in. So you start at square one anyway. So I have redefine what strength looks like to me. Strength for me is somebody who allows themselves to be vulnerable and knows that they trust their inner self, their instinct, and their, their voice within. When something doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right. When you need something, you need it. And allowing yourself to feel, and in that feeling, asking yourself what it is that you what made you feel that way and what do you need to help you? So for the people in our society who they always get labeled as you're so sensitive, you know, darn right. I'm sensitive. I'm sensitive because I have to know what I need and I need that. And I have to be able to stand up for myself and express myself. I'm not going to, you know, rub it off and say, it'll get better. I'm going to be proactive in making my life better every single day. And it's not about you and what you think. And it's not about my job and how hard do you think I'm working or whatever. It's like, it's just between me. Um, So strength for me is about being vulnerable and being aware and expressive. Where before it was about ignoring everything that you feel and just keeping it moving. And that was seen as strength. Oh man, she's so strong. She You know, went through a divorce and she's still happy and working. And are they really happy? Are they really good? Because they're not. And those people out there grinding have had some terrible things happen in their life and they're trying to figure out how to survive. And that's the only way out. I don't want to live like that. That's not strength to me. That's survival. What's the blessing that comes from this experience? Well, I would say that if you're a positive person, or you just seem to be optimistic. You would be like, I don't really know what to say about this. <laughs> How could this be positive? You know, you could think about, well, my child lost her father. It was my fault that I put her in that situation. I had to start over and felt like I left my career, my passion which was dance, and now I have to figure out what else what else I want to do to support myself and my daughter. And there was a whole bunch of shame of having to go through that situation when other people expect something different. Um, So the blessing in it was that you're awake. I'm awake now. I was asleep. I was doing everything that I thought I should be doing. And I wasn't living for myself. I didn't make decisions based on what I had as a vision for me. I just... Made it based on what I thought society was doing, what other people were doing. And so I'm awakened to how much power goes into rebuilding yourself and how much courage goes into waking up and seeing the world without feeling like you're less than, building yourself up and really believing again in who you are, but in a different way, like really just redefining myself. Also, the blessing is I can see it. I can see it in other people. So if I, you know, come in contact with, you know, a situation where I feel like, "Mm, that guy's not a good one. Like I can see it. I can see the signs. I can tell. Or it could be, you know, the same way with a with a woman. If they are manipulative, they may not be hitting you or, you know, whatever. But if they're putting you down and, you know, discouraging you all the time and telling you are not worth anything or using those those pressure points over your head to manipulate you, and that's also the same thing. Like, emotional abuse is way worse than the physical abuse. Sometimes you wish they would hit you because the words you take with them forever You take them forever and they cut so deep and you can't take them back. So the blessing is that I'm awake, that I have awakened to my power, my true power of authenticity, that I do not allow certain things in my life. I have boundaries. I have more respect for myself and more like self-love. Now, this comes with a segue of five years of feeling like from 2015 to 2020 to feeling like I'm motionless and stuck. Even my partner would ask me like, what do you want to do in life? Like, I just want to make you happy. Like, what is it that you want to do? Like, whatever you want to do, even if it's, if it it is nothing. I'm like, I seriously don't know. I have no idea what I want. I have no idea who I am and what I want. And so... That was a hard thing to acknowledge that, you know, you imagine all these things when you're a little girl and when you're younger and you have all these dreams and then all of a sudden all those dreams are wiped from you and you're like, I don't know what I want to do. That's a frustrating place to feel useless. So if somebody out there is listening and they're feeling like, I really don't know what I want to do. Like, I want to be, I want to be that for you. My blessing is that my purpose now involves Helping people rebuild themselves, helping people see the truth behind the lies they tell themselves about themselves and about what other people say about them. It's so funny when you get out of that hole because you look at it and you're like, man, I put myself in that hole and that's none of it is true. I'm awesome. And I want to help people get to that moment where they can be awesome because the purpose actually lies in you knowing your worth. You don't actually have to do anything or be anything per se. The purpose is when you are a light for other people. And when you become that light, when they have a little less light or they can't see, you can help them see for a moment until they can't see. And that's the purpose that everybody has on the planet as a physical being is to be a light in the form of love and acceptance and non-judgment. And that's what I want to be for other women. Not saying that men aren't cool, but just we're the most powerful thing on the planet. We make wars, we make babies, we make homes, we make life. And so if the women can realize their power, the the men will follow suit. If you have boundaries and you love yourself, and you know what love is based on how you love yourself, the men will change. The men will get it and they will start to love themselves as well. But it all starts with the women. So my purpose, the blessing is that I gained purpose from my pain, that my pain woke me up and I do not regret it. I would be an entirely different person, purposeless and, um, I'm really thankful for that experience. I'm thankful for the child that was born out of it. I'm thankful for the lessons that I learned from being in a situation that was super scary. Um, But I'm stronger for my pain. And I feel like people are more, they're more apt to talk to me. Because I think before they would be like, ah, like nothing's ever happened to you and... You just skip across the earth and, you know, you know, you have no like gravity with anybody. But I got some stories that I, that are so painful that, you know, I haven't shared with you or mom or anybody because you would be like, how? I don't even know how I made it. I blacked all of it out. Every day I was completely numb. Completely But also the idea, too, I want people to take away is that your environment breeds you that way. And I feel like as much as we had a great childhood, we are very passive. So if anything went on, we did not express it. We didn't talk about it. It was just skipped over it. And that allowed me to do the same thing. And that also the pains that our parents have, if they don't heal them, we get them, too. So in my mind, the whole time I was thinking, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to stay in a place where I'm not happy because I got married and I made a choice to be married. So women pay way more attention to your relationship and what you are displaying for your children, because that's the first definition of what love is, is between you and your partner. And that's the first way that they're going to find someone and and act like that. So it's not them, it's not your kids that you have to worry about so much, it's you. How you interact with your children, and how you interact with your spouse, what they see, is you. It's always you. Start with yourself first, and they'll be good. If you're not good, they're not good.
1: Little sis, I did not know the full story. So thanks for being so open, and I think
0: that this will help someone sure i hope it does i really do hope it does and if anybody wanted to reach out to me to talk about it um that's also important that even if you got out of the situation that you go back and you figure out why you got in it the first place because if not you're gonna do it again
1: you want to give your social media
0: sure um you can find me on ig at bella yamaya that's B E L L A Y E M A Y A. And you can also find me on Facebook at Mallory Lee. It's M A L L O R Y. Lee, L E E, like Bruce. And I'm always open um, for great discussion, but healing is the number one. All right, thanks.
1: Stay tuned for the mic drop moment. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. As I listened to my little sister talk about her experience, I can't help but think that I failed her as a big sister. I saw some little signs. I saw some little changes, but I never said anything because I thought she was just trying to find her way as a new wife and mom and maturing. We didn't see them often, but had met her ex-husband and we never saw the side that she described. Many times in relationships though, it looks one way on the outside, but the only ones who really know what's going on are the people in the relationship. She has always been one who marches to her own drumbeat. So I assumed she wouldn't put up with anything that she didn't want happening. However, abuse does not have a type. It can happen to anyone especially if the other person has broken them down internally. If this conversation taught me anything, it's that you need to check in with the people you love. Had I asked her if she was okay, she might have confided in me. Yes, every marriage has its struggles. It can get rough. And you do have to hang in there. However, if you feel like you need to sleep with a knife under your pillow because you don't know what your spouse might do, that is not normal. As husband and wife, your spouse should be where you feel the most safe physically and emotionally. Your husband should be your protector. It sounds like he was her protector in the beginning, but the stresses of life changed something in him. Perhaps if he had gotten some support with his mental health, this story would have played out differently. Many times we blame our partners for the bad in the relationship. But the truth is that if we just work on ourselves, it usually helps to improve the relationship. If you don't love and respect yourself, if you don't know your worth, you open yourself up to abuse from someone else. It's easy to listen to this story and say, well, it wouldn't be me. I would have done this, or I would have done that. But if you've never been in this situation, you don't know what you would have done. Her analogy for people who say, well, you should have just left was great because I can relate to that particular situation even if I've never been in an abusive relationship. I know how hard it is for me not to eat certain things when I'm trying to lose weight. I should just stop eating so much, but it's not that simple. Just like it's not that simple when we look at her ex. From the story, you might say he's a terrible person, but if you really think about it, the line between good and bad is often blurred when we're talking about people. Everything about him wasn't bad, and I know that he loved his child, He made terrible decisions that greatly affected other people, and he had to deal with the consequences of those decisions. We all make bad decisions from time to time because we're human, and we aren't always going to get it right. It's just that some terrible decisions have a bigger effect on you and the people around you than others, for which we can expect greater consequences. Generational trauma can play a large role in our decision making. A lot of jewels were dropped in this conversation and I feel like we could talk and expand on this all day. But I want to leave you with this. Be brave. Be you. Be vulnerable. Be a light. Love yourself and love others. Thank you for tuning in to episode one of season two. I'm so excited for what's to come and to bring you new stories and new guests. Join us on social media using the links in the show notes to chat it up and get an inside look at what's happening this season. And if you like what you hear, well, we'd appreciate a five-star review in your podcast app. Grace and blessings.